The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. in church, Charles Spurgeon said, when there's a lot of prayer, there's a lot of power. When there's a little prayer, there's a little power. When there's no prayer, there's no power. So I'm um, thankful for a praying church. Um, my name's Scott. It is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. I told the uh, 8 o'clock service to think of uh, First Baptist Church Pelham without Mike Shaw is like thinking of Taco Bell without the Chihuahua or something, you know? It just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, it just goes together. So, uh, boy, that dates me a little bit, but uh, I think you can remember that. It is, uh, we're just excited about what the Lord's going to do, not only in Mike and his wife's life, but the, the uh, life of this church. So, we're excited about what God's doing. It, it's a privilege to be here. I, I love Miss Paula talking about her grandchildren. That is, uh, that is awesome. We're, life is uh, all about change. I remember back when I was single, uh, traveling around preaching, I had a sermon entitled, Ten Surefire Ways to Raise Godly Kids. Then I got married, and we had kids. So I've changed it to three suggestions that may or may not work, you know? So um, all this kind of stuff goes on. Change is in the air, but the one thing that does not change is that the tomb is empty, the throne is occupied, and Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, that's the reason we're gathered in the house this morning, and I hope you brought your Bible. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, we're going to catch Jesus in kind of uh, mid-thought here. And we're going to try to go back and explain it. But uh, as I read John chapter 14, we realize that Jesus is not speaking to a huge group of people. He's speaking to his inner core of followers. And we're going to kind of pick up uh, down in verse 25 of John chapter 14, and I'm going to ask you to do something that I ask people wherever I am to do, and that is as we turn our attention to God's holy, inspired, and errant word, would you please stand with me in the recognition and honoring towards his word. We're not standing for Scott. We're not standing for First Baptist Church. We're standing for the word of the Lord, okay? Now, listen to what he says down in verse 25, and he says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Father, our heads are bowed, our hearts are open. Bless the reading of your word. We pray for those of us in this room who need inspiration, who need encouragement, who need challenge. And Lord, the lives that need to be changed, only you can do it. So we pray that you show up and you show off for your glory. And throughout everything, we'll give you the praise for it, for you alone are worthy. And we pray our prayer in the name that is above every other name, Jesus Christ, Lord. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Appreciate you standing for God's Word. Now, I know it's Sunday morning. You got, you know, pulpit supply coming in until you get the new pastor. And uh, even though I live in this area, and I know many of you, I, I was thinking, all right, how can we connect 
quickly on a Sunday morning. And then I started thinking, all right, I am, a, uh, I am what you call a closet meteorologist. Now, that basically just means I like watching James Spann, okay? I mean, I, it, when he comes on, we know it's going to be okay. When his suspenders are showing, we know it's going to be a rough day. But anyway, uh, so... I love watching weather, and so many of you will struggle through the newscast just to get tomorrow's weather forecast, and, and uh, you know, and the, there's some things you learn about weather, all right? One, we're not really good at forecasting snow in the south. We learned that this past spring. Uh, and then the hurricanes and the tornadoes. Uh, here's the one thing that I've learned. Storms can be scary. Now, I just want you to think through that. Maybe it was when you were young, and <clears throat> excuse me, and maybe the, the thunderstorms came up quickly and you ran into your parents' room, or maybe it's even to this day when you're driving down I-65, and, you know, they're always working on I-65, aren't they? I mean, don't you believe they're going to work on it until Jesus comes back? I mean, you know, they're just going to, you know, keep working on it eternally. But if you get into one of those little gully washers, and you can't see the pavement, your windshield wipers are going as fast as they can, something inside, I don't know about you, but to me, I go, man, this isn't safe. Storms can be scary. There, there are some places you can go across this country, down in New Orleans or in Pensacola, where I was yesterday, you just mention a name of a storm, and they shudder with fear. Now, I'm not a meteorologist, but in the last 25 years of my life, as I've crisscrossed this nation, I've come to realize not only are the physical storms scary, personal storms are scary. The type of storms that you don't see on Doppler radar. I mean, they're, they're not out there in the five-day business planner's forecast. Sometimes they hit you blindsided. And I know it's Sunday morning, and I don't want to get into your space, but, but, but just think about it. I'm talking about when you're invited inside the employer's office, and due to the, maybe the slowdown or a change, they're having to cut back their force. You don't recognize that. All you realize is that you and your, your family are about to go through a storm. When, when you're at the doctor's office, and that uh, ordinary test, something, you know, they, they always use the, the phrase, there's something suspicious. Well, immediately when you hear that, you're going to gear up for a storm. When you're set down by the one person that you thought would never let you down, and all of a sudden there's words being shared and experiences that are given that you're going to have to look in life in a different set of circumstances. I mean, those times get scary. Nowadays, it could be just an unexpected text or, or, or the, the, the tragic phone call or maybe even the late night knock on the door. When those things happen, every one of us in this room would all admit, man, life can get scary. And, and those storms are inevitable. I mean, no one tells us, but throughout life, we always go through storms. Someone says you're either going into a storm, you're in a storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. And I, I know right now you're sitting there going, man, Scott, you're such an encourager. Thank you for coming this morning. Well, I, <clears throat> I want you to know, I don't want to talk about the storms real quickly. And I love the song about thirst, about, about needing it to rain. Here, here's the thing. What I want to talk to you is how you can have peace in the middle of your storm. And that's the reason we're in John chapter 14, okay? Because as Jesus is speaking to his, uh, his followers, his disciples, there's some things going on in their life. In fact, I, I've never read this in a book, but I believe they're going through a storm. 
I mean, you remember how they started out and wherever Jesus went, crowds just started to follow him at the Sermon on the Mount. He'd say, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit for yours is the kingdom of heaven. The average layperson was like, that's what we've been waiting on. And they started jumping on the bandwagon and, and, and things were happening. The crowds were growing. And you know what the disciples were doing? They were acting just like I would act. I'm not going to accuse you, but I am going to be vulnerable and say they were acting just like I would act. They were like, this is awesome. And they started having private discussions about who was going to be the next greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's going to be able to sit on his right side. I mean, they thought they had life tied around their little finger. But all of a sudden, some things happened. Jesus started giving the cost of discipleship. Remember when he said, you're not one of mine unless you deny yourself, take up your cross, and only then can you follow me. And when Jesus started foretelling the Lord's Supper, he, he used some very hard sayings. He was foretelling the Lord's Supper, but he said, if you're going to be one of mine, you're going to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And at that moment, the average layperson went, whoa, that's it. I'm out of here. And they started jumping off the bandwagon as quickly as they had jumped on. So, so the crowds were, were gone, okay? And as the crowds were gone, in John chapter 13, something else happens in the disciples' life. They find themselves in an upper room. There's rumors spreading everywhere that they're coming to get Jesus. And Jesus in John 13 identifies his betrayer. Now, this betrayer of Jesus is not some anti-Jesus protester. This betrayer is one of the 12 disciples. I mean, this guy's been with Jesus for three years. He's seen him teach. He's seen him perform miracles. Now, one of their very 12 has turned their back on him. So in John 14, as the disciples are in the upper room, let me give you the picture. The crowd's gone. Rumors are swirling. Now one of their very close friends had just turned their back on them. I can't help but believe one of the 11 remaining disciples had to have this thought go through his head. What else can go wrong? Have you ever been there? I mean, has it all just kind of come down on top of you to the point where you just want to throw your hands up and go, what else can go wrong? Well, it's at this point that we find Jesus sharing the passage we read together. I want you to go back to verse 25. Don't, don't miss this, okay? Listen to what he says in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. So he's telling his disciples, I've already shared this with you previously. And then in verse 26, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now look at the next phrase. And bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. That's the second reference that Jesus is saying to his disciples, you better get this. Now, what is he saying? The million-dollar question is, what is it that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand? Well, go down to verse 28. I know we didn't read it aloud, but it's here in God's Word. Verse 28, Jesus says, you have heard me say to you. Third reference in four verses of this is serious business. Listen to what he says to him. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you if you love me you would rejoice. You know what he's telling his disciples? He's saying, guys, I know you don't understand it right now, but I've got to go to the cross. 
And I understand you may be sitting here and you're saying, Dawson, this is 2014. Are you trying to say that an event that took place 2,000 years ago can somehow be relevant to my pain and suffering today? Yes, ma'am, I will. Yes, sir, I will. Why? Because the message will never change. Jesus had to die on the cross. Jesus had to die on the cross because we all got a problem. I know we don't like to admit it. We come to church and we try to avoid it. But ladies and gentlemen, the problem is every one of us has sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I did this with you last Easter, but this is a refresher, okay? If you've ever told a lie in your entire life, would you just raise your hand right now? If you've ever told a lie, keep your hand up. Don't popcorn it, okay? Keep it up. I want you to look around the room right now and see all the hands of the liars that came to church this morning, okay? Now, you can drop your hand. By the way, if you did not raise your hand, you just told a lie right then. I, I mean, think about it. it it's, 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 you know, you just, oh, you just had that beautiful grandchild, and you said, perfect grandchild. But you know, when we're born into this world, parents, we don't teach our kids how to be bad. That comes natural. We come into this world, and, and why is that? It's not better made in the USA. It was not sin was created in a factory in Chicago, Illinois in 1947. You, you have to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you remember the story of Adam and Eve, but you can't forget what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve, the woman, was deceived. But the man disobeyed. And from that moment, sin has flown through the veins of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. So we're, I, I, I want to talk to you this morning that he's a loving God. And he's a forgiving father. But he's also a holy God. That is one of the attributes Americans like to jump over. We like to call Jesus maybe our friend or our homeboy. He is a holy God. And he cannot be in the presence of our sin. So guys, listen to this. Because of my sin, I can't come into his presence, not even on my best day. But here's the good news. When I couldn't come to him, he came to me. And for 33 years, he walked among us, and he never once said, thank me. He never even said, pay me. You know what he said? Follow me. Why? Because he knew his mission on this planet. And he went to the cross for your sin and for my sin. He did something for myself I could not do. I can't pay for my sin. I can't be good enough to get over my sin. The Bible says my best works are like filthy rags. I am a sinner before a holy God. But Jesus did something for me I could not do. He he died on the cross for my sin. And sir, he died on the cross for your sin. You see, I understand we're in the South, okay? We, we, love, we love SEC football, bacon, and we, we love religion. So I understand in the South, everybody starts talking about, I got that. I've heard that. You want to know what my greatest fear about America? It's not terrorism. The greatest fear I have about our country is that we're not dealing with a group of people who don't know about God. The latest stats say now 89% of Americans say they believe in a personal God. A majority of Americans say they believe in God. The problem is a great vast majority of Americans don't know God. Some may be here this morning and you got it all in your head. You're saying, I know Jesus died on the cross. Look at me. Can I remind you, according to Scripture, the demons in the pit of hell recognize there's a God? They know Jesus died on the cross. So where's the difference? 
Is it just if you have the Christian symbol on your business card, you're okay? If you vote a political affiliation, you're all right? No, there's something much deeper than that. It's a heart issue. And what are we talking about is found right here in this passage. Look with me down in verse 27. Listen how Jesus describes it. He says, uh, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You notice what Jesus is saying? He's saying, man, I'm not going to give you more stuff. Yeah, I don't think God's looking at America going, you know what would really bless America? They need more stuff. Where else but America can you find a fast food restaurant right next door to a fast weight loss clinic? You know what I'm saying? All right. You can put it on and take it off all in the same day. I don't think he's up there going, man, Americans need more possessions. Some of you are here this morning. You're going, man, there's just one more thing I need in my life. It's not something missing in your life. It's someone. And some people go, man, I, I, we just need more pleasure. Could you imagine God looking at America and going, you know what those folks need? They just need a little bit more fun. They need pleasure. I mean, if all life was about was fun and money and pleasure, think about it. Hollywood would be the bastion of tranquility. There would be little self-help books about get to Hollywood and find yourself and you can find peace. But you, you realize that once you get there, Man, read the newspapers, read the magazines, watch the television. You see lives unraveling before our eyes, and I'm not making fun of these people. In fact, my wife convicted me. She said, as you talk about them from the pulpit, you need to be praying for them on your knees. Miley Cyrus, Justin Bieber, these are just a few. Man, Drew Carey, uh, the new show of uh, Price is Right. You remember him. He, he was, he's a comedian. He'd, he'd go on the road and he'd do his act. And here's what he said in Esquire magazine. He said, I lie in the hotel room all day long, and then after my act, I would go to the bar and I would cry, end quote. Uh, Cameron Diaz, one of the most beautiful people in Hollywood, listen to what she said. She said, I hate people. When I say I hate people, I count myself. I haven't done anything drastic to change the world nor prove I like myself. And the saddest interview I've ever read was in GQ magazine with Harrison Ford. I don't know if you've heard this, but he was answering a question. He said, I've come to the point of realizing you only want out of life what you ain't got. The reporter followed it up by saying, what is it that you don't have? And Harrison Ford said one word peace. Jesus says, what does it profit a person if you can gain the entire world and lose your own soul? You know, uh, I travel a lot. In fact, uh, several cities, and uh, sometimes I, I, I get to stay in nice places. I really do. I get to stay in some three, four-star hotels. Now, other places I stay, they just wish they could find a star. You know what I'm saying? Any star at all, they'd be excited. And, uh, well, and I've learned, you know who has the softest pillows at night? It's not the Hiltons. It's not the Marriott's. It's any pillow. When you place your head upon it, knowing you have peace with a holy God. Until that takes place in your life, you don't know what I'm talking about. And there's one step you've got to step over to get to it. And I know, how, I know we don't like the term pride. And pride's the only thing that keeps you back. So let me tell you what's about to take place. Look, whatever age you are, whatever gender you are, wherever you're sitting across this auditorium, in just a few moments during the invitation, there's the battle between image and integrity. Let me explain the difference. Image is what other people think about you. 
Now, I'll be honest with you, image by itself is not bad. What other people think about you, it dictates to us what we wear, how we act, where we go. Image by itself is not bad. The only problem exists, listen, is when your image overtakes your integrity. Image is what other people think about you. Integrity is who you really are. So in just a few moments when we stand and there's an invitation, and if you stand up and the first thought that goes through your head is, what will other people think? Eh, wrong question. You don't worry about your image. At that moment, you worry about your integrity. Man, I know you're searching for a pastor, but just because a pastor is here or not here is not the moment of salvation. You come to Jesus when he's drawing you into himself. When that feeling, that tug of impressing, saying, man, I'm apart from Christ. Now, let me just tell you, you can walk out of here today, a brand new dad. You can go home this morning, a brand new mom. You can go home today and have your parents have a brand new child. You can walk out of here a brand new person. Now, wouldn't it be great if I were to stand up here and tell you that only people without Jesus go through storms? Wouldn't that be awesome? Think about it. If I were to stand up here and say, hey, you come to Jesus, you'll never have another bad day. They'll be lined up from here to Helena, okay, saying, I want some of that. I've only got one problem with that that's wrong. Do you know there's some theology out there that teaches that you come to Jesus, you'll never have a bad day? I can't find that in Scripture. You know what I can find? I can find though a righteous man may go through many trials, yet the Lord shall deliver him through all. Now, I'm going to close this, but I, I want you to know the number one type person I've met in the last 10 years are men and women who warm the pews. They sing the songs. They take the notes. They answer the question, if I were to die, I know that I know that I know that I know that I want to spend eternity with God the Father in heaven. If we were just to finish our statement, we'd say, I'm just not enjoying my trip. Because I've been beaten and battered and bruised by the storms of this life. And man, then a special speaker comes in and he starts talking about living the victorious life. And I, we just want to look at you and go, what? You want us to go out there and live victorious? Well, you don't understand what I've been through. You don't know what, I've, what has happened to me. Where's the difference? Where's the disconnect? Allow me to bless you for just one second. And then I'm done. Look down in verse 27, what he says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Notice the next phrase. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. You know how the world deals with us? They put a Band-Aid on us. It's a quick fix. Get us out of the moment. Jesus is saying, man, I'm not going to deal with you like that. What I am offering you, you can't find in some bottle. You can't find in a prescription. You can't find it in some relationship on this side of glory. So if you can't find it here, listen to what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. How many of you have ever heard that phrase, let not your heart be troubled? Let me see your hands. Where do you usually hear it? Funerals. Man, we pastors, we love preaching, let not your heart be troubled. But we don't use verse 27, we use verse 1. So keep your finger at verse 27 and go back to verse 1 real quick. Let me tie them together, okay? <clears throat> Listen to what he says in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. He's speaking to the same group, it's in the same context, and this is the same grammatical structure as in verse 27. So he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You know what I believe? I, I, if he's looking at us at First Baptist Church Pelham, look, he's saying, hey, you believe in God. Good job. It's not enough. Believe also in me.
put your faith and your trust in me. Remember where he's telling his disciples he had to go? The cross. Ladies and gentlemen, if it ends at the cross, I got news for you. I'm not getting up on Sunday morning. There's no joy in my heart. He's a good man. Been a lot of good men. He's saying, you don't understand. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't lose control. He didn't switch spirits with Simon. He didn't shoot up the hole in the ozone layer. He died. Now, you want to think about something this afternoon? Look right up here. God loved you so much, he'd rather die than to live without you. And they tore his body off the cross and they placed it inside some tomb and they put a big stone in front of it. And for three days, the world seemed to whisper, it's over, he's out of here. But then the stone was rolled away. Now look, the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. He was not in there for three days going, man, I hope they don't forget about me. Okay, now the, the stone was, you can't think like that. The stone was rolled away to allow us to understand that he who went in is no longer in, he's out. He came to this earth as a suffering servant. He went to the tomb as a crucified Christ, but on the third day, he arose the exalted son of the living God. And you know how Paul puts it in the book of Philippians that God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things of heaven, of things of earth, of things under the earth, and that every tongue declare Jesus Christ is what? To the glory of God the Father. He is not some plastic moldable figure you put on your dashboard. He is not the God of multiple choice. If it was like you have to pick Muhammad, Buddha, or Jesus, you know, it's not like that. He is Lord over all creation. And I know maybe there's some of you out there going, Scott, you don't know my storm. You don't know what I've been through. Let, 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 me, let me put it to you like this. Anybody got a fear of flying? Anybody got a fear of flying? Any, anybody? One. You and I. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a fear of flying. I tell people all the time, I'm not afraid of being dead. It's the getting dead that kind of concerns me, okay? And 30,000 feet in three seconds is not my choice, so I don't like flying. But I fly all the time, and I fly Delta. By the way, you know what Delta stands for? <laughs> don't ever leave the airport. So anyway, all right, so um, I, I fly all the time. And so I, I was flying one morning, and I uh, got in a plane. It was raining. Uh, I, they gave me a window seat. And what, I promise you, I, this is not a preacher's illustration. This actually happened, okay? The pilot came across the intercom. I'll never forget these words. He said, folks, we're about to attempt to take off. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no, you know, let's try this. I, I mean, I was like, what are you doing? And he must have been a former fighter pilot or something, because when he took us up, he took a straight, I mean, we hit those storm clouds head on. The plane was rocking. And how many of you ever been flying in a storm? Anybody ever been? Okay, so y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was just eerily quiet. I'll never forget, I mean, you know, atheists were praying at that moment, I do believe. <laughs> I, and I got news, I wish I could tell you I was spiritual. I was scared to death. Somebody bumped into me and I was like, we're going down. I mean, you know, it was just like one of those situations, okay? And, <laughs> and um, and then it happened. I'll be honest with you, I've never thought about this before in my life. You're smarter than I am. But you know what we realized just as soon as that plane broke through the last storm cloud? Just above that storm cloud, the sun was shining. I'd never thought about that. It never registered in my head 
sun always shines. Now, earlier it was dark here, but the sun was shining. Never calls in sick, never shows up late. Think about this. What would happen if the sun ever stopped shining for one second? But there's not one man or woman in this room, you woke up this morning going, man, I hope that sun's here. No. Why? Because you have faith in it. And it is that type of faith that I'm asking you to place in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, you may go through storms. Yes, you may not see his hand everywhere you turn, but here's the principle you've got to learn. When you cannot see his hand, you can always trust his heart. And some of you are here today, and you don't know Jesus, and you need to walk out of here with a relationship with him. There's others here today. God's calling you to join this church, but there's others of us in this room right now. We walked in, we sat in our pew, and we were determined we're going to survive this service, get out of here, because we know life's not fun, and it's unraveling before our eyes. And some of you believe every demon in the pit of hell has unleashed an attack upon your soul. Could it be that God just brought a, a, a guy from, from 280 area, just to come over here, brother in Christ, to say when you cannot see his hand, you can trust his heart. The tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. He is Lord, and he wants to give you peace in the middle of your storm. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask Ms. Paula and the instrumentalists are going to come forward. We're going to be ready in just a few moments for the time of invitation. But I know in a room of this size, I'm speaking to men and women who don't know Jesus. And I know you've heard better sermons. Listen, it's not a, it's not a, a, a competition who can preach the best message. It's not about us anyway. It's when Jesus starts drawing you to himself. And you could be there this morning going, man, I'm lost. I, I don't have that relationship with Christ. And I'm not saying you hadn't walked the aisle, filled out the card, or lifted your face. I'm saying there's never been life change take place in you. And I know you could be sitting there this morning saying, it's so confusing. How can I have that personal relationship with a living God? It's not by running up and down the aisles. It's not by screaming to the top of your lungs. It's about surrender. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That term call means to stretch forth. It'd be like if you were drowning in a body of water and someone threw you a life preserver. Well, at that moment, you're going to grab that life preserver and you're saved. So it's at that moment that you've got to call upon the name of the Lord. What does it mean to surrender? It means you've got to do business with Jesus. I can't do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Your family can't do it for you. This has to be your decision. For you to be sitting there this morning saying, I don't give a rip what anyone else is doing. And at this moment, I cannot worry about my image. I have to be filled with integrity and do what God's calling me to do. He's drawing me to himself. I know no better way to lead you in Christ than by a prayer. It's not written in your hymnal. It's not written in scripture. But scripture says constantly to pray. Pray without ceasing. Isaiah says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. So your first authentic prayer is the prayer to receive Christ. And this morning, if you're in this auditorium and you don't know Jesus, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying you're sitting there and life change has never taken place in you. This morning, I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And as I prayed aloud, you prayed inside your heart. Don't pray it with your lips. Scream it in your soul. 
These words have to be yours. As I pray them aloud, you pray them in your heart, straight to Christ. It goes like this, dear God, I know I've done some things wrong, but I know you love me to the point that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. So right now, the best way I know how, I open up my heart. I receive you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me brand new. I know you love me. Now help me to love you. Thank you, God. I now call you Father. With heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer, let me tell you what's about to take place. I'm going to say a prayer and then we're going to stand. As soon as we stand, we're going to have staff members here at the front. And I'm going to ask you to leave your seat wherever you're sitting across this auditorium. Come forward, grab their hand and say, man, I prayed that prayer this morning. You're saying you're adding something to it. No, I'm not adding anything to it. Remember the condition. You had to mean it. You had to surrender. Let me tell you the words of Jesus. He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. He called the disciples publicly. He died on the cross publicly. And I just want to put it to you like this. If that prayer didn't mean enough for you to step out, come forward and tell people who are members of this church, who love Jesus, who are going to celebrate with you and rejoice with you, if you're not willing to tell them you're a follower of Jesus, are you going to be able to go back to your home, your business, your community, and live for Jesus in a world that hates him? Right now, right now is the moment of integrity. As soon as we stand, sir, as soon as we stand, ma'am, don't worry about what anyone else is doing. You come forward and say, I prayed that prayer this morning. I received Jesus in my life. I'm his follower. Others may be here this morning, and man, you're going through a storm. Maybe you even came earlier to this altar. Man, an altar is the power source for a congregation. Maybe you just need to have someone pray with you. I, whatever Christ is calling you to do, let's be found faithful to him. I want to pray, and then we're going to stand. And as we stand, as God calls you, come. Father, I pray specifically right now for the men, the woman in this room who just prayed to receive you. God, will you give them boldness like they've never known before. God, I pray for those of us in this room that you're drawing us to yourself for situations going on in our life. May this invitation be a moment where we connect with you. We'll give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Paul is leading us. Christ is calling us. You call. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.